through bite-sized epic reworks of Edward Grieg, George Friedrich Handel, Richard Wagner, and many more, the Ostrogothic Fantasy Orchestra has released a new album, Watch the Vatican, which is available now. Watch the Vatican includes 13 drummed-up tracks and will introduce the world of classical music to both young and old. Music is a great way to awaken sleeping souls and raise anyone's vibration to the next level. So head over to gothokestra.com to listen now. If you like what you hear, consider purchasing a digital copy of the album on Bandcamp. That's gothokestra.com. G-O-T-H-O-C-H-E-S-T-R-A dot com. And keep in mind, the monogram of the nine is with us all the way. back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today my guest is Ron from New England. First, a couple of announcements. If you want to advertise with us, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We are doing incredible spots for our affiliates. Our website is forbiddenknowledge.news, also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You'll find some of your favorite podcasts from our community featured there. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Go check us out on Rockfin. This is where you get our premium content, as well as all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. You can also create a free account and get access to everyone's free content, including all our regular shows. You just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus. That's R-O-K-F-I-N dot com slash FKN plus to sign up now. Today, I want to welcome Ron from New England. He is a researcher and host of the Wicked Planet podcast. Ron, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Hey, how are you? I'm great, man. It's great to have you. I love the Wicked Planet. You guys cover so much of the same topics that we do. So much same high strangeness. This is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, we're going to get into some current events unfolding, as well as your research into the Salem Witch Trials, which will be going into a new podcast series that you're producing. So that's going to be excellent. Let's start with this. This is your first time on. Tell us about yourself and how you started the show. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. Like I've been in, interested in, uh, you know, a lot of the subjects that we cover on the wicked planet, but I, I tend to, I tend to go off pretty deep on politics and I know people are probably sick of talking about politics, but when I, when I see something that is just blatantly like just bullshit, if you don't mind me saying, I, I like to, I like to jump right on that. And, uh, and I, and I don't just like, talk about everything else 
that I've seen like in the mainstream media or whatever. I like to take the little tidbits. I like to go do a bunch of digging myself. And that's why, you know, when we talk about something on a wicked planet, uh, that's pretty accurate information. I, I mean, I definitely, I don't want to be spreading uh, fear porn as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people might deem it as fear porn and, but, it, but it's not fair porn if, it, if it's a fair warning, you know, I'd rather call it a fair warning. So, so, but what got me into this now, I've always been interested in Bigfoot aliens. Uh, the third Reich in the fact that we're living in the fourth Reich is a huge subject for me. Like I, I definitely love that. <clears throat> so, so how I got started, believe it or not, was on Instagram, you know, and that's where all the podcasters hang out. Like you don't see a lot of podcast action going on over on Facebook or Twitter or things like that. I mean, there's some, but for whatever, whatever reason, Instagram seems to be the hub for that. So I had just started a page just to show some of the work that I do, you know, whatever, when you're first starting out with Instagram, now this is years ago, when you're first starting out, you don't even really know what you're doing. So, so you're just throwing out, like I do, you know, specialty auto body work and I kind of wheel and deal in cool cars and motorcycles and, you know, whatever I can make a buck on. And I was scrolling through and uh, I, I said, well, you know what? I'm really interested in what some of these podcasters have got going on because it was right at the beginning of COVID. Like we were just like about four months into COVID and I could see like right off the bat, you know, well, I shouldn't say off the bat, like a couple of months in that we were dealing with something other than what we were being told on the news. So I started following a few podcasters that were talking about that stuff, right? So I come across uh, I come across uh, Ryan Dean's page, uh, the Dangerous World Pod on Instagram. So uh, I would find myself kind of interacting on the posts and commenting on the posts and things like that. So one day Ryan reaches out to me, and and this was before Ron from New England Wicked Planet, like way before all that, right? And he's like, uh, so, you, you know, just paraphrasing, well, you know, quite a bit about some of these subjects. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, always was a little bit of a news junkie, you know, and, and even, and even then, you know, I could, I always knew that the mainstream media was feeding you, you know, spoon feeding you, you know, certain things to fit their narrative. I mean, I've can pretty much always known that like, like I've said this a bunch of times, the last good anchor that I was like really into was Peter Jennings. And he was ABC World News. And I liked Peter Jennings because he wasn't college educated. He was just a regular guy from the streets who worked himself up the ladder and did a fantastic job at, at giving you the news, right? So, you know, and and once he was gone, of course, and you started seeing the downslide into them other, you know, instead of being news agencies, they were entertainment. But anyway, so 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 I answered Ryan and I go, Yeah, I'm into this kind of stuff. He goes, have you ever done a podcast? I'm like, no, God, no, I've never been on a podcast. I mean, I've done radio spots for New Hampshire Public Radio, you know, because they said, oh, you got a great voice for radio. So I would do like advertising spots for them mm-hmm. or fundraiser spots or whatever. And I know that that's an ultra liberal thing, anything to do with NPR. <laughs> but, you know, but but they got some cool shows on the weekend. Like, you know, I'm an automotive guy, so I used to love to listen to car talk. And I used to like to watch, wait, wait, don't, I mean, listen to wait, wait, don't tell me and the moth, you know what I mean? And, and, and all, and all that stuff is, was really interesting because it had some interesting stories like on the moth. So anyways, Ryan says, oh, well, maybe you think maybe you could come on and we'll do a podcast and we'll talk about some of this stuff. I said, yeah, sure. So we went back and forth. He called me, we talked on the phone a few times and he's like, well, you don't, 
like get nervous or you wouldn't freeze up or anything, would you? I said, oh, God, no, don't worry about that. So we set up a podcast, and that's back when Brandon was still on the show, which Brandon was is Ryan's cousin, who was also ultra-liberal, which I thought made a really good dynamic on their show. So, uh, so anyway, so I went on. It was uh, early for them. It was episode 42. And I went on, and we did a freaking monster of a show. I mean, I mean, Ryan, Ryan messaged me, oh my God, the show is really doing well. And you think you want to come back on? So I said, yeah, sure. So over time, I ended up doing 25 or 30 episodes with Ryan and Brandon, which was really cool. So, so I was, you know, kind of cutting my teeth, you know, learning, learning how it all worked and learning the whole flow and how Zoom worked and, and all that. Cause I never did any of that before. So, th- so that, that kind of went from there to getting hooked up with Joe, Jen and Ben at legit back. Of course, probably everybody's familiar with them. And then I got hooked up with Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy who Mark and I get along fantastic. And uh, he's actually really helpful to me. And then it's just now I I have to write down all the different podcasts that I've either gone on or that I've talked to and things like that. So I, you know, I really enjoy going on other shows and I say that on just about every appearance I ever make. So, so everybody, you need to know that. Like a lot of people are trying to get me to come on their shows and I'm trying to work it into my schedule. I have a super busy, I have a super busy life. You know, I'm running, I'm running a business. I'm raising an 11 year old, you know? And, uh, you know, I have a family, I have a house, I got animals. It's, it's really crazy, but I try really hard to be able to, you know, definitely I'm going to give my listeners like one episode a week. And Mm -hmm. then, and then we're trying to do these little short episodes in between. So that's working good. You know, I got my co-host Buckley, who's a kid basically compared to me. (laughs) I mean, I, I'm an old guy. I'm going to be 59 in December. Buckley's like 33. So, uh, but and he was one of my customers. That's how I met him. And uh, anyway, so we hit it off. So that's going good. So everything on the show front's good. But uh, but yeah, so I started out with uh, Dangerous World, Legit Bat, and, and that whole crew. And uh, and then you know probably after about 50 or 60 you know episodes between all these other guys, they're like, you really need to start your own podcast. So, but I'm like, you know, that's, that's like a hurdle for me. Like I know nothing about editing. I know nothing about any of this, but I figured it out. I, I went on, I went on there because I, I really said, you know what? Like, like, I really like doing this. Like, this is really interesting to me, you know? So I started out with some uh, inexpensive, I won't say they were cheap, but they were inexpensive microphones. We were using a uh, online mixer system, uh, voice reader you're probably familiar with that from the old days mm-hmm. and uh and that worked good for like the first year and then me and buckley decided we need to upgrade this so we spent a bunch of money we spent a bunch of money back in march and april and upgraded everything to all road products we put in a uh you know the mixer the mics uh, mm-hmm. uh brand new high-powered computer and now, uh, so so that's kind of what we've been working with. And now we're getting ready to do a lot of upgrades. You know, we just got one of our listeners donated a beautiful camera for content creation and, uh, you know, doing lives and things like that. So thank you. His name's we call him John from Long Island. Great guy. Uh, and a lot of our listeners have been pretty active on the Venmo. We got this thing going on now. We call in the Send a Buck campaign. Mm-hmm. It's like, just, just send me a dollar. Like I'm not asking for a lot of money. Just send me a dollar till I get my Patreon set up. So that's been working out pretty good because we're trying to put money together to do our, one of our first road shows that we're going to be doing 
in October. It's going to be encompassing around uh, Salem, Massachusetts and the Salem witch trials. So, uh, so, so everything is kind of evolving. You know, we want to go visual, you know, we have an opportunity to get on Rockfin. They're like, uh, they're, they're telling me, Hey, whenever you're ready, you're in. So, so that's cool. We set up, we set up a uh, YouTube channel for wicked planet. Of course, you know, as you know, Chris, you're going to be careful about what you put on YouTube, but, but I think this whole witch trial series that we're going to be doing is going to be fine on YouTube. I mean, we're not going to be talking about, the uh, jab agenda, the elite, the Illuminati, and the pedophilia stuff that's going on that we all know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not going to touch touch any of that. And I probably should let you talk for a little bit. <laughs> oh, no, man, that. you're good. I love it. I love what you're doing. Uh, we're going to definitely get into what you're doing with your Salem Witch Trials podcast series. Uh, I've been super fascinated by that. And uh, I've you know, I've always been wanting to do a show on it, never really got to, so here's an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Before we do, I uh, want to get your insights into a little bit more about how you feel the podcast world is moving and the direction it's going. It's still like, you know, I started doing this almost, uh, just, well, the, the podcast section I just started doing about five years ago. YouTube was about six or seven, and it, it was so brand new at the time, uh, you know, it would be podcast have been around forever but me getting involved with this you know and a lot of the the community that I was in that were also doing podcasting it was kind of like the wild west none of us really knew had any kind of uh, real set in stone procedures or ways to do anything and it's still kind of that way although uh, it has grown and it has really become I think one of the most popular forms of entertainment for our modern age and I'm really encouraged to see where it's going where it's going but the only thing I am concerned about is uh, where the censorship and cancel culture can come in and basically tear everything that we've built down are you are you concerned about that I think that's always something that's a concern Chris you know, I mean, I mean, you see uh, how podcasting now podcasting has been around, right? Yeah. Podcasting is not a new thing, although the explosion in podcasting has happened since the onset of COVID. Yes. Right. I, I mean, tell you the truth, if it wasn't for COVID, I probably wouldn't ever thought of doing this. I mean, I always had in the back of my mind, oh, I could do a cool comedy show or something like that. But, you know, life is busy, you know, so, so you back burner it. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing when I started out, like I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, the Wicked Planet is uh, was a year old, uh, the end of March. So from March to now, so, so you're talking, what is that, 16 months, uh, 16, 17 months old now. And we're very happy with the direction that the show is going. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think censorship, uh, and, uh, and not as much censorship, because we all know we need to be concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, we have to be concerned about that on every post we do. I have already been permanently banned from uh, Twitter. Over the use of sarcasm, which is a big New England thing. Like New Englanders are sarcastic people. And I was just using sarcasm on a post from the president. And, uh, and of course, Twitter shut me right down on that, which which they were wrong to do. But that's OK. You know, I really wasn't into Twitter to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, it, I mean, it works funky. I don't know. It's just it's alien to me. I just I don't care about it. So when I got banned, of course, I put in a, you know, what is it? Uh a review to have them review it. And of course they came back. Oh no, no, you're, you know, you're suspended. I'm like, whatever, you know what? We'll fuck you. I don't need you anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I concentrate on Instagram. I, I don't do anything on Facebook, like very little about the show on Facebook, but, uh, but even on Instagram, like uh, you can get little, little uh, 
we removed your comment notices or, you know, let us not and let us know why you, you think we're wrong and where it's like, it doesn't matter. It's all AI reading their shit anyway. Yeah, so who am you, I arguing it's with? It's so weird, man. You learn to play the game. You like change up your titles. You make sure your mm-hmm. thumbnail doesn't have anything. For any controversial shows now, I don't put the full show on YouTube. I'll put a clip of maybe two to ten minutes long. Uh, everything that is YouTube friendly will be in the clip, but everything else uh, has to go on all the other platforms. So we are finding ways around all this stuff. It does yeah. suck that we have to do, do so. Uh, it, it's going to get to the point where you know i think we're always going to have ways around things um as long as they're trying to to oppress us in certain ways yeah you know and now like getting back to podcasting right so so we know there was an explosion of podcasts at the onset of uh, well probably a couple of months into covid right i mean you had there was a lot of established shows already i mean some shows that are you know are up to four or five hundred episodes a thousand in some cases but these are probably also shows that do multiple podcasts per week, right? Where a show like mine is once a week, right? But now we're up to, what is it? Just under 3 million podcasts in the world. Ah, like, yeah. Last that sounds I knew conservative, just, but yeah. Well, well, I'm just going by some of the stats that I see online. Yeah, so yeah, let's right. just say 3,000. Could be more than that. But then you means- have, yeah. So then you have all the different podcasts. Then you have what I call. You know, you've got all these actors, all these well-known celebrities that have already established in the game, mm. all starting podcasts. Mm-hmm. I feel as though that a lot of that is just the same thing as what the mainstream media does. I think these people are being told by their agents or the people that, that run them to go out and do a podcast because we need you to help push this narrative mm. to the masses. And of course, you know, if you take somebody like, uh, you know, Ellen, say, for instance, Ellen or Oprah or or any of these people that are very well known, very well established, very successful. And if they start a podcast, well, it's only natural for like literally millions of people to go listen to them. Right. Right. So 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 you have those podcasts that are kind of off uh, on on one end of the spectrum. And then you have the other podcasts, like all the ones that iHeartMedia supports, like Grim and Mild, which which is a great series. All the different shows on Grim and Mild are, are awesome. And then you got the audio drama podcast. Again, I love audio dramas. That stuff is very cool. I'm actually going to be I'm getting involved in an audio drama uh, nice. with, with a, a fellow podcaster who you probably know. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but I'll tell you off the air. Sure. And uh, it's a project that he's working on. It's a great idea. And he wants me to be involved in it. So I'm definitely on board for that. So, so you have all those podcasts. Mm-hmm. And then you got regular radio shows that are trying to change their uh, their programming to kind of fit into the podcast genre, right? Mm-hmm. So be- because like radio is almost like I won't say radio is dead, but radio is definitely dying. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, you know, just like VHS died, Betamax, uh, DVDs, all that stuff. That stuff is all dead now because everything is that based, and, and the technology is different, and the technology changes all the time. Yes. Well, we figured out a way to make technology work in our favor, right? Like, like us using Zoom right now, right? Like, like you're you're out you're out west. I'm in New England, and here we are sitting in the same room together, which is which is fantastic, right? Yeah, and it gives but, people the ability not to be at the mercy of like radio stations and their policies and all their you right. know uh, necessary ads and things like that. Right. Well, the thing I was the thing I was going to get into is so then you have podcasts like ours. That will talk about weird subjects, esoteric subjects, cryptids, you know, whatever. Mm. 
But then we also talk about current events Mm -hmm. in our take on current events. So I've even seen reports in the mainstream media where they're admitting that a lot of people that have woken up to the the Mockingbird media and whatnot are, are discovering that they can get better news and better information from shows like yours and shows like mine mm-hmm. and probably a hundred other ones that are in our podcasting circle. Like they would rather come on out, you know, listen to our shows and then try to make a more informed decision on, on whatever, yeah. you know, and, and we always say on the show, like, don't listen to me, like go look this stuff up yourself. For sure. Excuse me. But I think you'll find that we're pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. And that this, so we're kind of, we're kind of corralled into our own little zone. And, and as long as we watch out for each other, work with each other, don't work against each other. Like, dude, this isn't a competition. We all, there's plenty of listeners. There's plenty of ears to go around. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, 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 the, but the problem with that is that our genre is the one that they really keep their eyes on. Mm-hmm. Even in some legislation now, or even uh, the WHO or the United Nations in, and I watch a lot of European news because I have a lot of friends that live in the UK and live in Europe and Italy and France, Spain, stuff like that, <clears throat> Germany. So, so I, you know, I just watch the news just to see what's going on over there. They're even pushing it over there. Yeah. You know, before we came on the show, we were talking about, you know, how, how hot it's been, right? Which, which we're used to in New England. I mean, it's, you get like a month stretch up here. It's hot. It's humid. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally fine with that because I don't like the cold. And I have a pool at home. So if it's too hot, I'll just jump in the pool. Right. But they were pushing the whole, oh, it's so hot. Europe is burning down. They're doing all these stories on these fires. Mm -hmm. And then they come out and they say, this is in the same report, how conspiracy theorists are sending out harmful dis or misinformation about climate change because they're, you know, basically calling us climate change deniers. And how how we're talking against the fact that there's, you know, climate change or whatever you want to call it, because they can't call it global warming anymore. Yeah. And they did a whole show on that. And then the next thing you see, the U.N. is coming out and the U.N. is like doing a whole paper about it, you know, posting it on their site. So so they're so they're trying to target us. Yeah. And not only them, but now you got the U.S. government that's trying to come in and saying that people like us could be deemed domestic terrorists because of the propaganda when all news is, is propaganda. Like we're not spreading propaganda. I'm not going to tell you what, I'm not going to bullshit you on my right. show. It's not going to happen. Right. I'm just going to tell you what I see. I consider myself a pretty clever individual. I am not a youngster. So I've, I've lived a lot of life. I've experienced a lot of things. So in that I take all that knowledge that, that, that I've acquired over 50, almost 60 years. And I, and I try to give it out to the people, you know? So, so getting back to what you said, yeah, people are, people are more coming into podcasts to listen to news. People are coming to podcasts to get really cool information. It's like the COVID agenda, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's huge. Like anytime you say anything about that, you're already, you're already being watched by artificial intelligence. And let me give you an example. Yeah. I don't know. If, do you use Anchor? Who do you? Okay, I, I so no, I don't use Anchor. I use Spreaker. okay, okay. Oh, okay, cool. So, so I use Anchor for now mm-hmm. because because when you first start out in a podcasting game, let's call it what it is. Anchor is the easiest thing to go with. Doesn't cost you anything. 
actually works pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And now that Anchor is owned by Spotify, that gives you an into RSS feed to Spotify automatically. And you can go in Anchor and you can send out all your RSS feeds to wherever you want. You know, my show goes out to like 10 different things, 10 different podcast apps, right? Mm-hmm. But Spotify is big tech. So during, during a show, like in my show, in my show title, I learned right off, like about halfway through the first year that, okay, we probably shouldn't say, you know, the C word or the C19 word in the title. Yeah. Because that way there, maybe they'll just bypass that episode. Cause I swear to God, they use AI. They listen to your episodes. Well, now I know for a fact that, that they do, because we'll do shows where we don't have anything that's, uh, you know, related to the virus in the title or the description or the show notes. Mm-hmm. And it'll come back with a COVID-19 banner yes. on the show when it shows up on Spotify. Isn't it spooky the how quick it is too? It, how fast the algorithm, isn't it spooky how fast oh, yeah. that fucking algorithm can read that shit too? Oh yeah. Well, it's probably milliseconds, right? Yeah. 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 It's probably, it probably takes five seconds for them to listen to a two hour show. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they come out and they put that and they put that banner on there. Well, that's that's a form of censorship right there. Mm-hmm. They're not saying you can't talk about it, but they're going to tell you and let you know that they know that you talked about it. <laughs> and they're going to put this banner. They're going to put this banner. You notice Apple doesn't do that, which I find interesting. Yeah. But but they put this banner on your show and whatever. Like right now, I call. I can. They're putting it a gold stars on our doors. <laughs> yeah, it's like a. It's like a. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a badge of honor for me. It's like, hey, whatever, dude. I don't care. Put whatever banners you want. As long as you're not telling everybody like I'm a Nazi sympathizer, or you know, or something that would really be a problem. Like like don't put that on my on my uh, banner. Well, but anyways, think- yeah. So, so that's. That goes to my point where podcasters like us who are trying to talk the truth. And and I'm not, you know, I'm not absolutely sold on the term, uh, the title truther. You know what I mean? Because I think that takes a whole other different kind of aspect or a whole other road. You know, because there are the podcasts where people just do politics and that's it. And a lot of times I'll listen to them, even people that are very well known and that I am fans of. They're kind of, they're kind of twisting and spinning the story to fit their narrative as well. Yeah. And I, and I think, and and I'm not going to give any examples, but, but I, but I think the listeners are actually probably tuning into that as well. Yeah. And and I think, and this is what drives them to shows like yours and shows like, I mean, your show is way more established. I mean, I just want to tell you my hats off. You do a fantastic job over there, Chris. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and, and also, uh, not only that, but I really want to thank you for uh, asking me to come on. So I wanted yeah, to make man. sure that we could, I wanted to make sure we could make that happen. Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend, Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only 110 Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. 
Of course, man. Yeah, I love doing this for all the the podcasters that I respect that are trying to get out there and and get their truth out there. You know, um, I want to have as many of you guys come on as possible and just share this uh, this the audience and truth and everything. Uh, now we got to talk about the Year Salem Witch Trials uh, podcast series, but first I want to know. Your thoughts on one more thing. Um, Alex Jones, the fiasco with his trial, and he's, uh, what is it, 44-something million dollars he's ordered to pay because of the, you know, the whole Sandy Hook thing. Uh, well, this is going to be another uh, kind of nail in our censorship coffin because they're going to use mm-hmm. this as as fuel to to further the agenda that we were just talking about. That's one thing, but um, as you were to your point as well, we have already had to uh, have to alter the way we do things. And I think one of the easiest ways we can get around a lot of this stuff is just by posing it as a question instead of a fact at times, unless right. we. We know and can prove that it's a fact. Maybe just pose it as a question to just to get past some of this stuff. And until they have a way to persecute us for just asking questions, which they're already trying to do, I mean, that's that's just something else that's coming. You know, that's another way to slightly get around things. But it's going to eventually be, you know, just Nazi Germany. Yeah, you know, the whole Alex Jones thing, <laughs> no matter how you feel about Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. I I grew up listening to Art Bell on Coast to Coast AM. Yeah. Me too. I still subscribe to Coast to Coast to this day. I actually love George <laughs> Norrie. Yeah. George Norrie, like he's a he's a pretty hardcore conservative, you know. I don't yeah. know if anybody gathered that from listening to him. But uh so, so you know, Art Bell, he kind of went away, moved to the Philippines or Thailand, one or the other. I think Philippines. Uh, and he was still doing the show for a while there, but you know, sadly, a few years back, Art had passed away. But anyways. First time I ever heard Alex Jones was on Coast to Coast. Now, this goes back a lot of years because I don't think Coast to Coast would even risk having Alex Jones on right now. I mean, maybe they would. I don't know. But it was when Alex Jones was doing his first thing that he was doing was called Prison Planet. And he had he had the Prison Planet website. And, and what interests me in Alex Jones, because, you know, the elites the, you know, we call them the Illuminati on our show. We like to call them the cabal. That's all part of one of the wicked planet drinking games, the cabal. Well, he yeah. spoke out a lot about these Bilderberg meetings. He would go to these Bilderberg meetings. He would bring a bunch of his followers with him. He'd have his blowhorn out there and he would be yelling. You're, we're not your slaves. We're not your slaves. I mean, he was pretty, pretty crazy about it. Right. Yeah. But but I'm like, wow, this guy's really interesting. And he seems to have a big set of balls because he's out there in broad daylight attacking, like attacking these people at these Bilderberg conferences. Mm. So that kind of sucked me in a little bit. <laughs> and and then so so I would listen to him. Now, now, I didn't even like like my computer was so bad back then. I'll even tell you what it was. It was so old. It was an old Dell and it was running XP Pro, which was a great program. But so, so, but you know, like the video cards and stuff like that, like they suck back then. So I'm online, I'm trying to watch these prison planet videos. It's not working good. And this is when he was selling the DVDs. <laughs> oh, if you want to see my movie. So I ordered a couple of those and I'm watching them on my TV. I'm like, oh my God, this guy really, really is interesting. And that's what got me into the whole Alex Jones thing. Yeah. Of course, you know, now. Now we think a little differently about that. I mean, Alex Jones has even come out himself and said, you know, I'm an entertainer. 
which he is very entertaining. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I have to admit, like in his defense, he is correct more than he is not. For sure. Even though he's using theater, he's getting dramatic. He gets some of his co-hosts on with their own little shows. Mm-hmm. They're like little mini Alice Joneses. And I mean, it's cool. It works. Yeah. You know, but he's always trying to sell you something, right? You know, and that's another big joke on the, on the Wicked Planet. Me and Buckley will get into this little frenzy and we'll start going off like imitating Alex Jones. <laughs> but but when it comes to a touchy subject like Sandy Hook, to me, I won't say it's 100% no-go zone, but it kind of is. Now, I've been invited to go on other podcasts and talk about Sandy Hook, and I'm telling you right now, I wasn't at Sandy Hook. I don't know what really happened there. And this is part of us like trying to vet vet these stories, right? That being said, there is a lot of unanswered questions mm-hmm. associated with Sandy Hook. A lot of weird, bizarre things happened in that town leading up to Sandy Hook and going past Sandy Hook. Like we've heard a lot of stories. We hear a story that that school's been closed forever. We hear stories that everybody's mortgage in the whole town was paid off mysteriously after we hear about this Adam Lanza guy and how his mom had some FBI or CIA connection and he's on, you know, antidepressants or psychotropic drugs or whatever. First, we're hearing a story. He's using this type of firearm. Then we're hearing a story. He's using that kind of firearm. Then we're seeing stories where other people, and I've actually seen the videos, I've seen I've seen videos of them chasing down other people like out behind the school that are all dressed in tactical gear, which I thought to be very interesting mm-hmm. that weren't police that were there to deal with it. So, yes, there's a lot of things that are funky about Sandy Hook. Do some of the people, the parents from Sandy Hook, do, like don't they seem to be acting a little strange for somebody that just lost a child? And, and people could come back and say, well, you don't know what that's like. Well, that's not true. I do know what that's like. I lost my niece, who is my brother, who I'm extremely close to, his daughter. She got killed by a drunk driver uh, three years ago. So, yeah, even though she wasn't my daughter, per se, but she was my niece, and our family is extremely close. So, yeah, I do know what that fucking feels like, right? So, but you're seeing these Sandy Hook parents come up, and then all of a sudden... You see Boston bombing some of the people at Boston bombing. And these are, these look like the same people, you know, which comes up to the term that Alex Jones, I think coined crisis actors. Mm-hmm. And you can see this in some cases. So yes, a lot of funky things going on about Sandy hook. Uh, again, I, I believe there is way more to that story. Just like, I think there's more to that, the, the Boston bombing story. Hmm. That's not even talking about 9-11. I mean, we know all the shit that doesn't add up there, right? Right. But the fact that Alex Jones came out and said it was a hoax. Instead of maybe approaching it a little bit different, Chris, like what you suggested, right? Like posing things as a question. (laughs) Yeah. Other than other than facts, right? So so he could have he could have approached it a lot differently, but I think, you know. He's looking for listeners. He's looking to sell things. He's looking for really good numbers. He's looking for really good ratings. Mm -hmm. I just really think that he went overboard on the Sandy Hook thing. 
Do I yeah, think he went yeah. 40? Do I think he went 45 million overboard? Well, no. But, you know, <laughs> no, yeah. but, you know, but this judge that presided over his case, like he had bad blood with her to begin with. She should have never been sitting on that on that bench. She should have said, listen, I cannot be biased on this case. I mean, excuse me. I cannot be unbiased on this case. I need to recuse myself. You need to get another judge in here. But she didn't do that. And not only that, you can bet your ass that everybody that was sitting on that jury was not a fan of Alex Jones. So so not only was he tried in what you could call a kangaroo court. He was also tried in the media by the mainstream media who pushed this story on every news cycle. I mean, Alex Jones is a conspiracy podcaster. Why are you giving him so much attention? Like they would have been better off to not even talk about it like at all, because no matter what they always say, there's no such thing as bad press. Right. So even bad press is going to work to his advantage. And then they come back like the first thing I heard was that they that it was going to cost him four and a half million dollars. And I'm thinking that's chump change to Alex Jones. And then they come back for like the next day, 45 million. I'm like, wow, that's quite an increase. But that's because they came back with a punitive damage settlement. Well, there's a cap on punitive damages in the state of Texas. So so in my opinion, like like that's not going to cost him $45 million. And to be honest with you, the dude's worth about $300 million. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big hit. That like that's a big hit. I don't care who you are. But I don't I don't think he's going to end up having to pay that and as a matter of fact, I think he's going to beat this in uh when he comes back and he appeals this. Because again, a lot of shady stuff happened during this. Yeah. His lawyer accidentally texted 2 years worth of information and text messages <laughs> from Alex yeah. Jones' cell phone right to the prosecutor. Or, or, or I should say, not the prosecutor because it wasn't. It was a civil trial, right? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the other side, right? Right? The uh, yeah, uh, the people that were going after him, whatever. I'm got a brain fart going on. Sorry. Yeah. No. But I anyways, know exactly but but it does put Alex Jones in the light for talking about something, saying it's a hoax, associating it with a conspiracy theory. And it's in mainstream media 24-7 for like a month straight. Mm-hmm. That is sending a message. Just like the other, we can talk about the, the whole Mar-a-Lago thing after, which, again, has a lot of sketchy stuff associated to it. Yeah, man. But, but we got, it. but we, Yeah, but we got to look at Alex Jones how, just like how we look at Donald Trump. Yeah. Is Alex Jones controlled opposition? He gets accused of being a shill all the time. Like, like I, I just don't see that. I think Alex Jones is, is is a genuine guy that just happened to get really good and really big at what he's doing. So, so yeah, he could be a show. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the man personally, but I've always enjoyed his entertainment. You know, yeah. sometimes he goes on a rant. Uh, I just click off like, you know, I do rants, too. But I mean, he just kind of gets a little out of hand sometimes. Oh, yeah, definitely goes overboard. Well, uh, tell but, us about some of the things you heard about uh, Miralago before we get to the Salem stuff. Okay, so so let's let's talk about uh, Donald Trump and how now that's whole. It, well, it's not fracturing, but after the Miralago search, he had the biggest fundraising day on record directly after that, right? So. That makes things a little suspect, although he's got a huge base, right? 
But let's talk about what's going on at the same time that this raid takes place that the mainstream media is definitely not talking about because they don't want anybody to know about it. Trump is in the middle of a lawsuit, Trump versus Clinton. And the trial is in Florida, right? He's going after Clinton and everybody that pushed the Russian collusion hoax, right? Which now we know was a hoax in this constant frigging battle that they are like putting on to Trump from the day he came down the escalator. Now, this is something we talked about on the Wicked Planet on the Mar-a-Lago episode. So if anybody wants to listen to that, they can go check it out. But the judge that, because I can remember seeing that on the news and I'm like, oh my God, what judge on earth would sign his own fucking death warrant by signing off that warrant or multiple warrants to search Trump's estate at Mar-a-Lago, right? I'm thinking this is going to be somebody that's maybe lower level, maybe somebody that just didn't know any better or somebody didn't question what the FBI came to them with evidence in order to to get a a warrant. Like you kids, you're not going to get a warrant on a former U.S. president on something that's, you know, minor. But this judge, Judge Reinhardt, was actually a presiding judge on the Trump versus Clinton trial. He asked to, he was actually the second judge to set. He asked to be recused from this case, basically because he could not be unbiased. And I'm not putting words in his mouth, but that's basically what he said. He was a, he was an Obama uh, donor. He actually donated to Jeb Bush's campaign when Jeb Bush was running against Trump in the primary. So this guy is one of those anybody but Trump guys. Yeah. He happens to be sitting on the Trump versus Clinton case. But hmm. but check this out. We got to go back a little further. When okay, so when he was a uh judge uh for the Southern District of Florida, he actually presided over the case against Epstein, where Epstein either got a slap on a wrist, and it was for child trafficking, he got a slap on the wrist, or he got like sentenced to 13 months in basically what we up north call a county farm, like a county jail, like not a prison, which I don't think. Epstein ended up like doing that time. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but right after this case now. Okay. So, so this case was settled, right? It's settled. Like that case is done and gone. As soon as that case is over, he resigns from being a federal court judge. Almost the next day or the day after he opens up his own private practice and guess who he's defending. Jeffrey Epstein's pilot of the Lolita Express, Jeffrey Epstein's booker, who used to book his, you know, whatever it is that he did, you know, uh, allegedly booked his dates with underage ladies, and allegedly his private sex slave. He goes on and defends them in court. So what happens 
after that, Epstein's found guilty, of course, whatever. He was wanted anyways. That's why they put him right in jail when he came back to the United States. Mm. They put him in jail. He miraculously is able to commit suicide. <laughs> camera's not working. All of a sudden, camera's not working. And he was on suicide watch and his security detail was gone, like gone to lunch somewheres. And we're still not getting any answers about that. Okay, number one, he's on suicide watch. Why isn't his camera working? Number two, where are the guards that are supposed to be watching him to keep him and to prevent him from committing suicide? Gone. So right there, that's just begging for us conspiracy theorist podcast guys to jump on this story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's a no-brainer. But I personally, if everybody wants to know my view, like I don't think Epstein's dead. You know, the big joke, Epstein didn't kill himself. Well, I don't think anybody killed Epstein. Right. Epstein is as high as high as a witness, high value as there possibly could be. When you start getting into this whole pedophilia, the sex trafficking, which is the number one money making thing in the world. Is sex trafficking above drugs, above money laundering, above any of that. Sex trafficking is the number one money-making operation there is, period. But getting back to Judge Reinhardt, Epstein's dead, allegedly. He's not a threat to me as the judge anymore. So, so that's done. Up here in New Hampshire, they arrest Ghislaine Maxwell, who's his quote-unquote girlfriend, business partner, whatever you want to call her. I happen to believe that she is Mossad and she was actually everybody's handler. Her dad was Mossad, which is the Israeli uh, equivalent to our secret service. I mean, excuse me, uh, CIA. She gets arrested up in New Hampshire, hiding out in some multimillion dollar estate that is in this little town called Bradford, which nothing is going on in Bradford. And there's a reason for that. Because a lot of money people own all the land up there. So it made sense. You know, when they said that they got her up in Bradford, New Hampshire, I said, well, that makes perfect sense. Can't go into why I know that and what I know about that area, because it will blow your mind. And I don't even think it's safe to even talk about on a podcast. But she gets hauled in. She goes through the whole court process. Not once did we see a mugshot. Not once did we see any video of her actually being in the jail. But then they show a picture of us, uh, a picture of her. She got a black eye, like, like she got beat up or something, right? We don't see nothing. She goes to trial. And the trial is only about like two counts of uh, arranging for Epstein to have sex with underage girls. Like, like, like this trial, like everybody's crying for the client list. Like this client list really doesn't have anything to do with this because this trial was based on these two or three women that came forward to, to go against Epstein's estate to try to get paid for, for their pain and suffering or, or basically punitive damages. And, and Maxwell was the one that was in the way. All right, so that's all dead and gone. There's some form of payoff or whatever, but the client list is sealed. All the documents from that case are sealed. Everybody was always crying. Well, how come we can see Johnny Depp trial, but we can't see Ghislaine Maxwell trial? Okay, well, there's a simple answer for that. Johnny Depp's trial was like a civil trial in civil court. 
Epstein's case was, uh, excuse me, Maxwell's case was a federal trial in federal court. You cannot videotape federal court proceedings. So that answers that question. But where are the documents? Why are they sealed? It was all part of the settlement at the end. Well, they were sealed because everybody that has anything to do with anything, politics, corporations, big business, big money, even criminals, mm. dude, they're probably all on this list. Oh, yeah. Like, like we've seen the list of the Lolita Express flight logs, right? I mean, just look, that's the who's who's of Hollywood on that and, and the European elite. So is it just a coincidence that all these people like to party with Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty popular guy. When I throw a party, a lot of people come. But it ain't those kind of people, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. So now all these things are out of the way. Epstein's out of the way. Maxwell's out of the way. What does this Reinhardt do? He goes back to being a federal court judge. And he ju- and for the Southern District of Florida, which is obviously where Mar-a-Lago is. And he's the one that they go to when they have like five different judges they can actually go to to sign off on these warrants. Yeah. They go to this guy. There's actually a picture of him. Now, I don't know if this picture is real Photoshop, deep fake. I don't know what it is. But I've seen this picture. I saw this picture like over a year or so ago. So I'm tending to think that maybe it is legit. But there's a picture of this judge kicked back in a big lounge chair on a private jet. He's got his feet up in Maxwell's lap. Her shirt's unbuttoned. And I mean, say what you want about Maxwell. Good looking lady. Like, like I'm an older guy. She's an older lady. Yeah. I like older ladies. She's a good looking lady. Right. But this dude's got his feet in her lap and she's there with her freaking boobs hang, basically hanging out. Yeah. Why is this judge hanging out with Glenn Maxwell and nobody's asking any questions? But this is the judge that signed off on Trump's warrants. This so, the, is, yeah. so again, it's it's another thing that there is a ton of questions about this. Yeah, all the shit that they're saying that they went after Trump for is stuff that Hillary pulled like ten times worse, Obama pulled ten times worse, and all these other things on the left, all the Democratic Party, like are insulated and isolated from any type of prosecution at all. Look at the shit Pelosi's pulling. Okay. I mean, these are all examples and it is crystal clear to people like you, people like me that see this, but you see all the people talking about, well, if Trump did something wrong, then he needs to be held accountable. You got Nancy Pelosi up there. Nobody is above the law. Okay. Well, you can finish that sentence and say, besides me and everybody that's a Democrat, (laughs) <laughs> so it just right. so it just leads us down to another rabbit hole that is the Trump raid mm-hmm. that everybody is analyzing it. All his lawyers are going on. And I mean, it, the FBI pulled a lot of shady shit. They're in Melania Trump's uh, walk-in closet. I mean, what are you trying to do? Steal her panties? Right. I mean, there's another example. Older lady. Absolutely beautiful. Probably one of the most classiest first ladies the United States has had in years. Maybe going back to Jackie O, like Jackie O was was like classy, like big time, which was JFK's wife, Jackie right. Onassis. Yeah, but, I uh, mean, but anyway, it, so so all the questions, all the questions are coming out, Chris. So 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 this is why we talk about this shit on our shows. Yeah, for sure, man. And say what you want about Trump, but 
there is still, you know, no indication that he is playing both sides or he's, you know, part of the system. I don't, you know, I don't want to go all in for sure and just say I'm rooting for Trump because I'm not sure. I don't know. He's he's sure probably a scummy human being, just like the rest of the politicians that get to be at that level in life. But I don't know if he's playing the same game or with the same players. It seems like they hate him a lot. If they're yeah. if they're playing a game with him, I don't know for sure, but it is very interesting to see everything unfolding right now, and that's some fantastic information that you shared for people to keep in mind about everything. I mean, they they like to ignore some of these facts, and you have to keep repeating it and beating it into people's heads before they even understand. Oh, uh, this is true, and maybe I should look at the other side for a second, or step outside uh, of of my views, and maybe just look in from the outside for a few minutes just to see. What's going on? I think if more people did that, we'd get a lot further. All right, man, we got to get to your uh, your upcoming podcast series about the Salem witch trials. Uh, always been a fascinating topic for me. Um, I've done I've, I've had a couple of guests that talked briefly about it, but you said you've been looking into it and might have found some uh, different things than we've normally heard about the trials. Okay, so so there's multiple reasons why I'm interested in the Salem witch trials. Like anybody that's listened to Wicked Planet or Dangerous World or uh, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, like they've probably heard me say this before. I have a direct family connection to the Salem witch trials. John Proctor, who was accused as a witch and hung as a witch, is my eighth great grandfather. And I have all the like the charts to prove that right here. Wow. Like, like this has been commonly known in my family. I've known this since I was in elementary school. Uh, our family, the Proctor family, uh, we haven't had one for quite a few years now, but every year we used to have a big, a big family reunion at the family farm in New Hampshire, where the Proctors actually moved when they left Salem. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so to us, like, this is a normal, like everyday thing. But uh, the one thing I noticed that in my family that nobody was real eager to jump into it as deep as I am willing to go. Now, last week I had over an hour long conversation with my, with my cousin who lives out in New York, who's done all the genealogy. She knows a lot about this. She has a lot of the family pictures that we're duplicating. So everybody in the family can have them, but she's like, Oh my God, like you're finding out more about this witch trial stuff than I've ever, I've ever looked into. And I was kind of like blowing her mind. Now she's my, my mom's cousin. So she's my second cousin and my mom and her, they grew up together in Albany and uh, she's, you know, they're in their eighties, but, uh, but a wealth of knowledge, right? Even my mom, you know, I was talking to my mom that I was going to do this and she was kind of a little tiffed at me for doing it. But, but yeah. For, for whatever reason. Well, I think I know the reason is, is like when I was a kid growing up, we we're always told, yeah, don't talk about that. Like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it in school. Don't tell anybody. Just, you know, keep it under wraps. We don't want the stigmatism that goes along with that. You know what? At my age, I could just, I don't fucking care. Like, like, like there's so much, again, so much disinformation, so much made up news, so many made up stories, so many made up movies that fit a certain narrative that just basically are not true. So what I wanted to do was not only dive deep into this, and it's probably going to be like a four-part series. And at the end of it, we're actually going to do a video 
and we're going to put some of the series together for our YouTube channel. We're actually going to be going to Salem and Salem Village, which uh, is a little over an hour from me, probably like an hour and a half. It's it's in the, what we call the North Shore. So so when you look at the uh, state of Massachusetts, how it comes down, then you got, of course, the big, the big, the hook, the elbow and the arm that that's Cape Cod. Like that's a that's like its own part of Massachusetts. Like you got to cross two big, great, big, huge bridges to even get on the Cape. But if you look at Boston, you have what they call the South Shore and then you have the North Shore because Boston is like in a harbor. So it so it kind of circles in Well, up on the North Shore, you have the towns like uh, Lynn. Gloucester and everybody's heard of Gloucester, you know, any old fishing stories. And then you have Salem and then you have Salem village. Now they were so stigmatized by the Salem woods trials that they actually changed the name of Salem village to Danvers, Massachusetts. So what is actually Salem village, like where, where a lot of these characters actually lived back in the late 1600s, is actually Salem Village. It's called Danvers today. Because Salem isn't just Salem. Like you have the Salem proper, which is the which is what we used to call Salem Town. And then you had the Salem, the village off of that. So in Salem Town, that's where all the rich folk live. It was a big, uh, a big port there. It was a port town. So there was a lot of commerce going on there, a lot of trading, and a lot of a lot of immigrants coming in, right? And then you had Salem Village off from that, where where your farmers, your tavern keepers, you know, innkeepers and things like that, people that were said to have less money or whatever. Uh, in doing my research on my ancestor, I come to find out he was a pretty wealthy guy. Now, when the Proctors came over from England, they were pretty wealthy. So, uh, so you know, they had to make their way in the new world. And uh, but but I just am really interested in the subject. I always used to ask myself, well, how did we end up in New Hampshire from Salem? So that's going to be part of the story as well, because when John Proctor was accused of a of being a witch, his wife had already been accused of being a witch and arrested for being a witch. But the problem was, was she was pregnant at the time. Now, this was John Proctor's third wife. This guy had a lot of wives and he had a lot of kids. So our branch of the family, actually what we figured out comes from his second wife, not the wife that was accused of witchcraft. She was his last wife, but she was put in prison because they couldn't, the law wouldn't allow them to hang her because they would be killing two people. And as crazy as the whole thing, Oh, well, uh, well you're a witch. So we're going to hang you. You know, that was okay. You know, that was no problem. That was all that was all good in, in the law. But we can't hang a witch if she's pregnant. When in actuality, she said, well, if she's pregnant and the person that, who you know, got her pregnant was a witch and she's a witch, well, wouldn't it make sense that this kid coming out is going to be demonic anyway? So let's just kill her and the kid, right? Think about that angle. But the law didn't allow them to do that, right? So she just sat in prison till the hysteria kind of like weaned down. And she was let out of jail and basically pardoned. And okay, you know, they gave her some reparations. I think what uh, equivalent today would have been like $1,500 in, in today's money, which back then, I mean, because she was a widow. Now she's a widow yeah. and she's a woman. So she's not allowed to have anything. 
And when you are accused of being a witch, you are what they considered a dead woman, meaning you had no rights, you had no rights to money, you had no rights to property, you had no rights to uh, any inheritance, nothing. You were just an existing person. And you were left, sent out to the frontier on your own, to your own devices. Good luck. Which back in the early 1700s, like at this point, right, late 1692 is when the witch trial started. Everything came to pass uh, early uh, 1693. And then from that point, from 1693 to like 1700, like this is when people were like, okay, I'm getting out of here. And this is and this is when they were able to petition the court for to try to get some of their rights back and to uh, get some form of reparation, some type of payment to like, you know, just give me some seed money and I'll be on my way. So but but all these things like these are things you don't hear in the history books. These are the things they don't teach you in school. So these are the things that are not not part of movies or, or stories or anything like that. Let me ask you this real quick. There are some that speculate that the hysteria surrounding the whole uh, Salem incident was actually due to some um, psychedelic type substance from uh, yes. some of the the uh, what was it uh, bread that they were eating or something along those lines. I don't know if it was okay, bread, but something. Well, I'll tell you what it was. And this is my number one theory. Mm-hmm. Now, there's other theories that it was a land grab because. My great-grandfather always had this land dispute with this character named Putnam. And Putnam was one of them guys that the only way he could get anything was if he stole it from anybody. Well, it was Putnam's daughter and his niece, who was Abigail Williams, that basically started the whole witchcraft like uh, hysteria anyway. I think he rode that for all it was worth to try to steal whatever land from the Proctor family that he could steal. The Proctor family owned a big farm. Like he rented like 700 acres, but he also had a farm in what today is called Ipswich, Massachusetts, which is right next door. So that's a theory. The other theory that you're talking about, which I believe is 100% plausible, Mm. was the mold that grows on rye. Right, that's it. That's called ergot. Yes, ergot. And ergot is a hallucinogenic. Mm-hmm. Now, they still battle with ergot, like, to this day. Like, because uh, if your farm animals will eat rye that's got ergot on it, well, dude, it's going to probably kill them. But on humans in small doses, it would create hallucinogenic effects, which would make, which which if you look up ergot and the symptoms of ergot poisoning, it's hallucinations, weird dreams, going into trances, sleeping and not waking up. I mean, this was all the same stuff that was going on down there. Yeah. But they were so I'm cursed. looking so I'm looking into historical weather reports and crop reports. And believe it or not, that information is out there. But the year leading up to because this all happened in the fall of 1693, the year like in August going into September. The year before the crop, uh, they had very wet summer. Now, it's already extremely humid in New England, especially Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. And their like major crop that they grew was rye because rye could be used for a lot of different things. One, you could make really good alcohol out of rye. And rye is one of your base ingredients in any rye whiskey or Canadian whiskey like to this day. 
right? There's even there's even a special uh, like a cordial that I used to like take little nips off of when I was a kid. That's called Rock and Rye. That's actually a rye whiskey that has uh, fruit in the bottom of the uh, bottle. Anyways, so but what was the major thing that they made used rye for? Right, making flour. Like anybody that's anybody that's ever been to a delicatessen, you get pastrami. What kind of bread do you get it on? Rye bread, rye, pumpernickel, pumpernickel swirl, whatever. Rye bread is freaking fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But because these people were limited to what they could grow and what they could, you know, store away for the winter, because winters are seven months long here. They, they, and they didn't know what ergot was. You know, if you look at, if you look at a rye bud, you can see ergot, it looks like mouse dropping. Basically is what it looks like. Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know what that was. So they just ground it all up and they used that flour to make bread to put in their warehouse, you know, in their stores for, for the winter. And I think what happened was this flour was tainted with ergot. And maybe, maybe not, maybe it was like in a diluted form at this point, because you got to remember, like, this has been grind down in a grist mill, which how a grist mill works, you got two great big, huge stones with grooves in them. And they, and they kind of turn against each other. And that's what, that's what kind of mulches down the, the actual uh, rye stalks and everything and the seeds into flour. Right. Well, okay. So maybe the ergot was not like full strength. Like if you were just picking it off and, and just made this little soup out of nothing but ergot sprouts. Mm. So it might've affected the younger kids worse. They were more susceptible to it than say a grown up that's got a much, much more robust immune system, much more robust digestive system. Yeah. Right. Than these kids are. So, yes. Yeah, so that, so that's one of the theories and I will be doing a whole segment on just the ergot part of it. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be really interesting, but, but there's another really cool aspect to this. Now, out of the, I want to say it was 19 people. Now, now what a lot of people also don't understand is that it wasn't just the Salem witches, but that's the one that got blew up. That was the one that was politicized. That was the one that everybody wrote the stories about and everything like that. But there were probably more people arrested for witchcraft in the town of Andover, Massachusetts, than all of the people that were arrested in Salem. There was probably 45 people arrested for witchcraft in the town of Andover, which if you look on a map is basically right next door. While there was this young 22-year-old girl who uh, documents have said, even her grandfather said that she basically, she's just a, she's a simple girl, right? She, she was unmarried. She had no children, which at 22 years old, that's where the term spinster comes in. Like that's an old timey term for basically a single lady mm-hmm. with no children. And that was looked at as to be odd because most people that were, quote unquote, witches were just old biddies that lived out in the woods and had a little cabin. They didn't have kids. They didn't have a husband. They didn't have none of that. They were just loners. So already she's starting to fit the mold, right? This girl, her name was Elizabeth Johnson Jr., which is weird because they used used the ending junior on even female names back then. She was arrested. She was accused. I don't want to get too much into the story. I want to save it for the series. Yeah, yeah. But but she gets arrested for witchcraft and gets hauled in, 
put in prison. They never did execute her because it was right towards the end when, when all the, all the hysteria was kind of winding down. I want to say it was the governor of Massachusetts. Now you got to remember this is before it was the United States. This was Massachusetts, was Massachusetts Bay Colony, which was ruled by the crown, right? There was a governor that came out and said, listen, this is nonsense. All these people are getting killed. Now they're starting to find out that all you got to do is go out and just accuse somebody of being a witch, just like how they just accuse some of us as being conspiracy uh, theorists or accuse us of being a shill or be accuse us of being a uh, controlled opposition or accuse us of being racist. Mm-hmm. Anybody can take anything you say or anything you do or any way you act and say you're racist. <laughs> so it's basically a witch hunt in itself. Yeah. So that's what this was. So this governor put a stop to it. He said, let's look at this case by case. Let's look what's going on. Well, eventually they discovered that this, that this lady was uh, maybe had some developmental problems. You know what I mean? Maybe she was a little slow, Mm -hmm. a little simple, like her grandfather said. So they let her out of jail. And she was pardoned. Now, being pardoned is not the same as being found not guilty. It's not the same as being found, or excuse me, not the same as being exonerated, which means this is where it ends. There was no, this is the same as you never being on trial for it, never being charged with it, nothing. You're exonerated like it never happened. Well, my family, they were all exonerated. All the other witches were exonerated. All, everybody that was involved that was arrested as a witch, man, female, child, even two dogs were killed because they were accused of being witches or hounds of witches. (laughs) which is a really interesting thing that I bet nobody knows about, right? Yeah, I didn't know that. But this Elizabeth Johnson Jr. was never exonerated. So in the eyes of the court, in the eyes of the community, she was, as I said, my ancestor was a dead woman. She wasn't, had no rights. She had no property rights. She had no rights to any type of inheritance, any, any like, Back in the day, I forget what they call it, but any type of felt, uh, form of welfare, like just to help her out. She was like left on her own to her own devices. So go forward 329 years to present day Massachusetts. The Andover Middle School had a class where it was their mission to get this Elizabeth Johnson Jr.'s name cleared and to exonerate her of all charges of being a witch. And this was their class project. Kids are eighth graders. They worked on this for like a whole year. Well, you know, to get exonerated and to change a law in Massachusetts or any any freaking politics or any Senate or Congress in any state, let alone the fact that nothing gets done down there in Washington, is a tricky thing to do. Well, they got this uh, congresswoman or a senator who agreed to work on their behalf. And I want to say her name was DeZoglio. Again, I'm going to have all this information. It's going to be all in black and white when we do the series. Right. She introduced it as part of a bill to get her exonerated. For whatever reason, that bill did never passed. Hmm. 
So it was put on hold. So, of course, these kids are all disappointed, you know, and this, like I said, this was their goal to get Elizabeth Johnson Jr. like exonerated. Right. So fast forward another six months, nine months. Desaglio says, I am going to put this on this budget bill and we're going to make this thing pass. She got an agreement with all these other congressmen and senators. Uh, Governor Baker said, if, if you can get this to pass, I will sign off on it. Well, they got it to pass. And this was literally like two weeks ago. Wow. They passed it. Elizabeth Johnson Jr. is formally exonerated. And she was the quote unquote last witch. Right. So I'm looking into this. And I've been following this story from the beginning because anything to do with the witch trials, like it interests me, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I see that these, that a couple of these ladies, they're doing a documentary film about Elizabeth Johnson Jr. And the whole fact that this eighth grade class from Andover middle school is working on getting her exonerated. They decide they're going to do a documentary about it. And I'm like, that is really cool. Yeah. So I reach out to them. I reach out to them. The episode's not out. I was going to put it right out, but I'm going to save it for the series. I got to let them know that because they're probably waiting to listen to it. But one of them is the producer of the film. The other one is the writer director of the film. I got them both on a Zoom call. I did like an hour and a half interview with them about, you know, like like the questions like like you're asking me, like, okay, how did you come across this? You know, how'd you hear about it? How did you reach out to people? These these folks had this, we used to have these huge Zoom meetings of everybody working together to try to to try to see what it was going to take to get her exonerated. Well, I was watching one of them Zoom meetings and the news came in that it was official. She was exonerated. Governor Charlie Baker signed it into law. So that is done. The last witch is no longer considered a witch. Man. And that would be a big deal, except for, you know, I don't know what she has for family. Like she had no yeah. kids. She was, I don't think she was ever married, but, wow. but I'm going to be looking into that. Cause that's going to add an interesting dynamic to the witchcraft series. Right. Yeah, man. So I, I did this, it. this great interview with these two ladies from out in California and uh, uh, really, really nice ladies. We talked a lot about it and, and why they reached back to me is, is, is I had messaged them. Uh, I think I emailed them. And I said, listen, this is who I am. I have a podcast, but I'm also the eighth great grandson of John Proctor, who was hung in the Salem Witch Trials. I said, and just so you know, yes, I can back that up. Well, they emailed me right back, like within an hour. And we had this email thread going back and forth for a couple of days. Asked him if they'd be interested in coming on the show. The writer director was actually getting ready to leave for a trip to either Norway or Sweden, because that's where she's from. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, we could do it right here. And I had to change my whole schedule. I said, I'm doing this interview. We did the interview. Everything went great. And I can't wait to air this, uh, air the video and air the series. And I'm really excited about it. And I think the listeners uh, are going to know, yes, it's a little different for the Wicked Planet. Uh, but it, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think it might be an opportunity to get the show out there a little bit further. Because it's going to be on YouTube. It's not going to be explicit. Obviously, it's going to you'll be able to watch. Your whole family's going to be able to sit back and watch this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm really excited about it. So, uh, But I happen to learn a little bit more tech 
to make that happen. So I'm working on that. That's but that's our plan. That's our yeah. plan. It's probably going to be a four or five part series. Uh, we're going to have a uh, video and photographs and all that up on the YouTube. And we're shooting for right around Halloween. Obviously that makes sense. Awesome. But Halloween's not that far away. No, it's not coming right it's up. A little over two months. Like that's a lot to get done in yeah. the next couple of months, but I'm going to work really hard to make that happen. So I want everybody to be looking forward to that. Awesome, man. That sounds great. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you come back on after it airs so we can kind of get a little deeper into some of this stuff. And oh, there's sure. plenty of topics we cover. You cover all the good stuff for sure, man. So uh, before you head out, let the audience know just a little bit more about your podcast, where they can find you, uh, social media, Instagram, all the good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm real easy to find. Like You're only going to really find me on Instagram. But it's Ron from New England on Instagram, all one word. Come and follow me. Check my page out. Sometimes I can post some pretty funny stuff that I steal from other guys. I always tell them, listen, I always say I'm sharing, I'm borrowing, or I'm stealing. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I'll repost that. Uh, if you want to know what's going on with the show, go to Instagram. I usually post when the new episodes come out. Uh, we record on a Wednesday. Our show, The Wicked Planet, comes out typically on a Thursday, unless something really crazy is going on, like the whole Mar-a-Lago thing. I did a quick episode for that. Mm. We're going to start leaning to doing one full episode a week and maybe a shorter episode. We are setting up our Patreon, so we're going to have some exclusive content. There's going to be three different levels, so we will let the listeners know when that's ready to go. And, And also, you can find the Wicked Planet podcast page on Instagram as well but I am more active on my Ron from New England page. Now, Perfect. if you want to get into politics and things like that, last week, so I'm really fresh on this, I jumped in and got an account, Ron from New England, on Truth Social. No. So if anybody, any politic people want to hear me talk about politics, what well, I have not posted anything yet, so I'm just kind of learning, the, the getting a whole learning curve down from there. Awesome. Something else that's interesting, if anybody's into Telegram, We do have a Wicked Planet podcast chat page. It's an open page. Come and check it out. Join it. I think I got like 120, maybe 130 members. Come on the page. Have a discourse with other people that are on there. Talk. Just keep it. Keep it civil. Don't be a jerk. Don't try to sell Bitcoin and your Forex trading and all that bullshit because I will block you like immediately. But come and check that out. Uh, And if you want to email the show, if you have any questions, if you're like uh, technology uh, illiterate, <laughs> you can do the old timey. Just email me the wicked planet podcast at gmail.com. And I think with all that information should be able to find me. You yeah. can DM me. You can DM me at Ron from new England on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I get a lot of DMS. So I try to get back to everybody within a day or so. So don't think I'm ignoring you. One of the things that I always promise the listeners, if you DM me, I will answer you. So so I work really hard to make that happen. So if you DM me, you don't hear anything for a day or two, like don't stress. I will answer your questions. Right and on, I man. welcome and I welcome those DMs. I really like the I like the uh, crowd interaction. I, I really appreciate that. Perfect, man. And to make it easier for everybody, I will also have all his links right down in the description so you can just click and go check Ron out. Ron, that was awesome. We're going to have to do this again sometime in the future for sure. Sure. Yeah, anytime. Hey, Chris, like I said, like thank you very much for having me come on the show. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while now. 
Yes, sir. This was fun, and we're going to do it again. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See you all then.